Pain Talk, a podcast for patients living with pain and those that care for them. Now here's your host, palliative and emergency care physician, Dr. Maureen Allen. Welcome back, everyone, to another Pain Talk podcast. Today, we're talking with Don Okai, who is a PhD student in experimental surgery at McGill University. So he's involved in the Pain Intervention and Evaluation Research Group, or the mnemonic is SPINE. He's also co-president of the Quebec Network of Junior Pain Investigators. So we're going to welcome Don to the podcast and learn about the work that they're doing, the good work, and trying to spread that information. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, yourself, where you're from, why you choose this research, or did this research choose you? I'm from, born and raised here in Montreal, and I studied at McGill. I did my bachelor's in physiology. I'd say I think more research chose me. Um, So I didn't see myself at first uh, going into research or further on maybe in academia. Um, So I was just in my regular physiology class and then at one point there was a class on physiology of pain and I found it super interesting how complex it was and how many domains you can um, basically fit in regarding just pain itself. Um, So I started to look at maybe potential research labs that I could maybe get myself involved in and um, I found one uh, research lab here in Montreal with uh, Dr. Catherine Ferland Um, who works on pediatric pain, and I worked with kids in the past, and I found that it would have been a great fit, and um, here I am today doing my PhD in pediatric pain, so yeah. it's pretty cool. Is there a particular area of pediatric pain that interests you? So we do a lot of perioperative pain here at uh, the institution, so I'm at the Shriners Hospital for Children Canada, but we also do chronic pain as well in children. So I'm more interested in the chronic pain aspect. So we see patients with chronic musculoskeletal pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and my PhD is actually more revolved in the uh, healthy population. So I'm recruiting healthy children and adolescents to do what is called sensory tests. So look at their sensitivity to touch, pressure, vibration, heat, and cold, um, really to profile the healthy population and compare it with the same uh, values that we have in our chronic pain pediatric population to see if there are any differences and in the same time set up or establish a database of reference values for the test that we do here. So is that looking just at the sensory nociceptors or are you looking at, when you talk about a profile, are you looking at the multidimensional aspects of pain as well? So not just the, the neurobiology or... How, how does that work? Yeah, so we, uh, so we do um, like a psychophysical assessment. Okay. So in terms of the psychosocial assessment, we give them questionnaires to look at their psychological, psychosocial variables and um, uh, their quality of life. And then regarding the more physical assessment, we do quantitative sensory testing. So looking at the nociceptors um, and just peripheral sensors itself, so regarding touch and vibration. And then we also look in in terms of more central processes regarding pain. So we use the condition pain modulation paradigm, which is based on on that pain inhibits pain. Mm -hmm. So not looking also at ascending Uh, pain mechanisms, but also at descending pain mechanisms to give Mm -hmm. a big pain profile that is specific to each individual. Interesting. So what would be the ages that you would start this research in? So we do from ages 10 to 18 inclusively, 
we are trying to potentially increase the age rate to maybe eight years old since other research groups have done up to uh, youngest have been eight years old. It's just in terms of the explanation of un an understanding of our tests and of the pain skills that we use, of course, are usually what can uh, dictate or let us know to if that the person really understands that's all the tests that we do. Interesting. So, and, and obviously your profiles are going to be different individuals, so looking at different cultural aspects and, and different races as well. So would there be any differences that you're starting to see in some of that early research? So early on, we... We're also looking at ethnicity and age and, and gender as well. Um, as most or even similarly to the adult population, we have mainly uh, females or young girls who um, are part of our studies itself. And then regarding the age range, I would say it's pretty normally distributed, but I'd say more in the teenage years of 15 to 18, we see a lot, a lot more in that age range. In terms of ethnicity, we haven't really seen anything yet since mm -hmm. uh, most of our population have been Caucasian, but we do have um, other ethnicities that are recruited into both in our healthies and in our um, uh, chronic pain population. How do you recruit them? Where Are they, are they self-selected or are these uh, patients that are uh, individuals that are uh, recommended or, yeah? Just curious. Yeah, so what's really interesting is that at the Shriners Hospital, our research laboratory is within the outpatient clinic itself. So regarding our chronic pain patients, most of them are actually referred from the doctors that are here at the institution. So when, if they see a patient who is reporting chronic pain, so pain more than three months, they usually get referred to us and they also get pitched the, the, the project or the research study by the doctor itself. So it's a really easy recruitment because it's a cross-sectional study and it's only one time. If they're here already at the hospital, um, why not do the study in the same time? For our healthy population, it's more uh, through word of mouth. We're working a lot with schools that are around the area as well. So instead of sometimes having the healthy kids come to here at the hospital, we'll try to bring our material and set it up at the school for maybe a week, uh, a week or two, and try to recruit them on the spot over there. After after meeting some of the kids or giving presentations, and we also put pamphlets and flyers around in the area just to try to incite people to contact us and uh, recruit uh, some participants. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, uh, you know, I've always um, approached pain from the the perspective that it is a normal human physiological response, you know, to a threat, whether perceived or not. So in some aspects, how we help patients understand how that pain system works, um, but also to understand when it starts to go a little ray, you know, how, you know, empowering kids and empowering adults to understand that pain is part of how we uh, go through life, it's part of that survival mechanism that we all have, but also recognizing when it starts to go wrong, how we can help to, um, you know, roll it back, I guess, or make it a little bit better, I guess. But I think kids are so important. So who, um, so what is your, uh, tell us about the organization that you work for. So I am the co-president of the Quebec Network of Junior Pain Investigators. So um, the other co-president, her name is Marie-Pierre Cyr, and she's from the University of Sherbrooke. And uh, the Quebec Network of Junior Pain Investigators, or in short, the QNJPI. We're a Quebec-wide network of students in the, re the field of, of pain research. Um, we're also, that we could say, the, the junior wing of the Quebec Pain Research Network, which um, consists of all of, let's say, the principal investigators are doing pain research here in the, the province of Quebec. Um, but us, the QNJPI, we're actually 
even though we are the junior wing of the Quebec Pain Research Network, network we actually kind of have our de- independence regarding all of the activities or projects that we want to get involved in or actually conduct itself. Okay, so what is your mission? Yeah, your organization's mission. Yeah, so our actually our main goals are really to transfer knowledge related to pain research to the general public and to also provide uh, all of our members, so our trainee members, innovative opportunities to uh, actually um, improve their skills, to network, and basically to enable them to become successful independent researchers in, a, like, let's say, a more collaborative environment across, like, different areas of expertise. So there's clinical research, basic research, and the a mix of two. It's interesting. So, what would your team look like? So, you're a junior researcher. What are what are the other? Who are the other participants in your team? So, um, we are about 180 members in the QNJPI, but on a smaller scale, we have about 10 board members. Um, we're actually, let's say, I could say more of a multidisciplinary team. So, we're from different universities across Quebec. Um, so, we're from McGill University, um, the University of Montreal, the University of Sherbrooke, uh, the University of Trois-Rivières, of Laval. Um, and we also have also very different backgrounds. So, there's physiotherapists, we have clinical research students, basic research students, um, et cetera, on, on our team. Interesting, yeah. So, it, it's a pretty, it, it sounds, I didn't realize it was that big. It yeah. sounds like it's pretty pretty amazing. Um, can you talk about your ongoing community outreach projects yeah. that you have on the go? Perfect. Yeah. Um, so we have two, let's say, community outreach projects. So we have one more on a smaller scale. So we have this collaboration with the Quebec Association of Chronic Pain. Um, one of their missions or initiatives is really to offer support groups for those living with chronic pain. Um, these support groups are offered by uh, this this association really to create like a safe and supportive environment for people living with chronic pain to really come together and share their feelings and experiences. And like, although these support groups are kind of, are generally made of of a discussion among the participants, sometimes presentations can be really a helpful tool to support those living with chronic pain in terms of education and awareness. Um, but sometimes these people don't always have access to current scientific evidence and ongoing scientific research. Um, so graduate students in our network are really uh, in the perfect position to actually have access to pain research and the ability to share this information with others uh, in need. Basically, by offering this presentation, it's kind of like we're giving back to the, the community. So. Most of our students, we apply for travel awards that allow us to go to research conferences. Um, and these travel awards are from the Quebec Pain Research Network, who receive public funds from the government of, of Quebec, which originates in the end from taxpayer dollars. And some of these people may be directly or even indirectly impacted by chronic pain. So kind of giving back to the community like kind of allows us to also for our research to take to take place. So, so like presenting in a support group is a it's a way for us to give back to the Quebec community. So Don, do you have access or do do clients or patients have access to pain self management programs in Quebec? Are you familiar with those uh I'm not those types of programs? I'm not a hundred percent familiar. I believe there are self management programs. There are chronic pain clinics here. Um maybe some patients don't know about all of the, the the accessible clinics or programs that may be available, but I'm not 100% sure on that. 
Yeah, they're a little bit separate from the interventional clinics, but they're, I mean, when you were talking a bit about this in terms of helping to build capacity in individuals living with this chronic disease, about how they can manage it, what's new and innovative in terms of research, uh, helping them to learn new skills. Pain self-management is something that is quite vibrant here in Nova Scotia. And uh, it, this I, I see you guys as being part of that platform as well, uh, just bringing information into people for people who are living with persistent pain. Do you have any upcoming projects that are um, that we should be looking for, or that people can look for that are listening into the podcast? Yeah, so we have our actually our large scale, let's say, community outreach project, which is called Pain Talks. Funny enough, uh, the yeah. podcast which is called Pain Talk. Um, so Pain Talks is actually provides. We provide engaging presentations focused on controversies and advances in the field of pain, and it's really more in TED Talk style presentations. So uh, initially, uh, let's say, I guess I'll give a nod back to the history of pain talks. So the first edition of pain talks was strictly only for trainees in pain research. And then we felt there was something a little missing from it. So what happened in the second edition is that we invited a patient to share their experience. Because in the end, most of our research is to help the patient at the very end. Um, And because we had the invited patient and it was such a nice story to hear, in the third edition in 2018, we actually made pain talks open to all, so open to the public itself. However, in that time, it was only in French. So then we, were, we weren't able to reach the English community the, 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 from those who might have chronic pain. So last year, what we did is that we still made it free, our, our pain talks uh, event. Um, we made it bilingual. So that way, not only um, in terms of the presentation, so we had both English and French presenters at Pain Talks itself, but we also had a live translation uh, service uh, on the spot of the event itself. So people could wear headsets and listen to a French presentation and still yet understand everything that's going on. Um, So Pain Talks, it's really to disseminate quality scientific context about pain and really like a lay language, like accessible to all. Um, and it's really, the presentations are held like in the beginning of uh, an evening, and it's, it's really more to gather and have like a field open for exchanges um, for, between individuals from different backgrounds to, uh, example, patients, uh, stakeholders, patients' families, clinicians, researchers, and even students itself. So that's, that's what we're, what the, a big uh, community pro- outreach project that we have. And we have the next one, the Pain Talks 2020, which is happening on November 13th, um, actually in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Um, it's still going to be free. It's, always, it's still going to be bilingual. And all presentations, let's say if, if, you, if you are unable to be present at the event, all of the presentations are always filmed and then posted onto our network's YouTube channel. And even our past videos can also be found there. Interesting. How many people would attend these events? Last year, it was in Montreal, uh, and uh, we had about 300 to 350 attendees that actually showed up to the event. So we uh, rented wow. an, uh, a hall that could hold up to a theater that could hold up to 400 um, people, and about 300 to 350 people attended. The one That's in 2018, cool. about 100 to 150 attended. It was in Quebec, but we also had um, what's called a, like a live video. So people who weren't unable, who are unable to show up at the event, were able to still watch the visit, the, the presentations uh, in live feed in the same time or stream it in the same time. Interesting. So what percentage of that uh, group would be from the community, and what percentage from the healthcare field? 
I wouldn't have the numbers yet, so this is what we're actually planning to do for the the upcoming um, the upcoming pain talks. Is have like a little survey to know um, if the people attending are either students, clinicians, patients itself, or example decision makers. Um, and as I think that's where moving forward is to also see the impact that we're doing with this community outreach project by giving let's say a survey before the event and also after the event and see if the example people learned new stuff or learned are feeling a little more aware in terms of how they can equip themselves to cope with their pain or help someone else who might be uh, experiencing uh, with chronic pain. I think it's great to have that uh, the interface of both of those populations together because uh, until you really actually sit down with somebody who has experienced persistent pain, I don't think we can truly understand the impact, uh, how, how life-changing this diagnosis is and, and how disabling it can be for some people as well. So it's uh, kudos for you guys for doing that. So you have a bunch of uh, links and things that you've given me that we can definitely put on the podcast. Um, didn't know if there was anything else that you wanted to share with us that you wanted to get out there, the message? and uh... What we want to do is really maybe inspire other people, whether you're a patient or, or a student, to really do build a, a community outreach project. And I feel like it's really important, especially in times of today where sometimes misinformation, uh, fake news or over-information are kind of reported in the media. So I think really establishing like a direct communication bridge between the world of research, stakeholders in the healthcare system that includes patients, families, and clinicians, I feel like think is really needed um, at this time. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, if I look at uh, even the work that the Canadian Pain Task is Force is doing, what's brought most of this to the forefront has been the opiate uh, opiate crisis that we're seeing out in Western Canada. And unfortunately, what was happening is that patients who are living with chronic pain got intermingled in that. And uh, there was some unfortunate decisions that were made by healthcare providers to t- taper or take patients off their pain pharmacology. So if anything, the opiate epidemic has really helped us to really focus in on more on this population that uh, has been heavily stigmatized and unfairly um, labeled, you know, uh, in a way that uh, we need to understand the condition better so that we can offer people better treatments uh, and also support those patients that are getting effective uh, uh, results from their uh, their pain pharmacology. All right, so I, I think we can, we'll stop there and uh, we'll um, let you go. But thank you so much for giving me your time, Don. Okay, thank you so much, Maureen, for allowing me to be part of the podcast. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Pain Talk. To learn more about our podcast and to find links mentioned in today's show, please visit our website at paintalk.ca.